Have you ever felt uncomfortable at church? Some of you are like, yeah, like right now, I'm uncomfortable. Or maybe here's another question. Have you ever been turned off by the church? What we're gonna talk about in this series is something that in my personal journey with Christ, this was a big barrier. In the series, you know, Then Sings My Soul, where we're talking about this idea of worship. And if I'm honest, for the longest time, I had a real struggle when it came to worship. I was raised by wonderful parents who had me positioned in the church, but something in my faulty nature just was drawn towards rebellious things rather than holy things at a young age. And something about worship seemed to serve as a catalyst in my life that turned me off to the church and made me uncomfortable in spaces like this. One, I had a, a pretty significant speech impediment, so anything audible, I just did not want to participate in. So I did not want to sing, and back in the day, they didn't have great bands. Most of what we did was acapella. So everybody could hear you off you know, beat, right? Everyone could hear that you were botching the note. So I just didn't like to sing. But in addition to that, it just felt like a lot of manipulation to me. It felt like a circus at times, and I don't know, I just felt uncomfortable. And it wasn't until my freshman year of college, I give my life to Christ, and I start attending this little church. It's the closest church near me. That's the only reason why I showed up there is like, hey, I can walk to that one. And I show up knowing nothing about the church and come to find out it was an all-black charismatic church which if you know me, it was perfect. It just, it was perfect. And I showed up with all this skepticism in my heart and a lot of disdain towards the local church, but curious as to, okay, if there is a God, please do something in my life. And I was sitting in the back row and there's this gentleman, I don't know if he was an elder, I don't know what his role was, but he was always consistent. I would get there, I'd sit in the back row and he would come and he would always give me like two chairs between us and he would just sit there. He didn't say anything, he never prodded for information, but it was almost as if he was providing me space. It was almost as if he knew God was doing something in my life and he didn't want anyone, including himself, to interfere with it. So I'd sit in the back and try to wrestle with God as to, I don't know, I have some doubts and some questions and I still have some disdain towards all of this. And then, in times of worship, my faith began to take shape. Early on, much of my theology actually was not shaped by reading the Bible. It was shaped by these old songs that the church would sing called hymns. Songs like Amazing Grace and Come Thou Fount and It Is Well With My Soul and What a Friend We Have in Jesus. I mean, songs like How Great Thou Art and the best song ever. I mean, the number one Christian song ever written. You can argue over which is number two, but the number one song, in my opinion, Blessed Assurance. That's my favorite song. And I remember there was this time in Blessed Assurance We're in the bridge as the song builds. It gets to this lyric and it says, and this, talking about grace, and this is my story, and this is my song. 
praising our Savior all the day long. And in that moment, I did something I thought I'd never do, something I always mocked and scoffed at. And I raised my hand in worship. And that, that may seem simple to some. And some of you, you grew up in a church where you were always just very natural and familiar around things of worship. But for me, that was, that was a big moment where I'm embarrassed to admit it, but that one small act took a lot of courage and came with a lot of discomfort. And in that moment, I discovered, wait a second, there is something to this worship that serves as a catalyst in my faith when I serve Christ. And now I stand here confident that there's no way I believe that you can truly live a life for Christ without living a life of worship. And we're gonna get into that in this series. Church, here's the deal. I'm convinced that a church, a church that doesn't worship will drift towards entertainment. I mean, before you know it, you think you're showing up to a concert. And that is such a miss. And you should know my goal here is to build Christians, not a crowd. I think our focus should be to become a better church, not just a bigger church. God, would you just continue to develop in us a righteousness and a holiness and a desire for you? And God, would you prompt us and lead us and shape us? It's not for your entertainment. In fact, I take it further and say this. Worship is for your engagement, not your entertainment. My, my goodness, I pray you don't show up thinking I'm here to hear some concert or I'm here to witness some TED talk. God, that's, ugh, that's so shallow and inaccurate. My prayer is that when we show up, we recognize this is a holy moment. We are gathered with the people of God, declaring the promises of God in the presence of God. And something happens in spaces like this that triggers faith and miracles and God's provision and God's plans in our life. Guys, I'm telling you, worship is critical. It's so key. In fact, as you go through scripture, something that you're gonna find really interesting is the people of God were always heading into battle. Come on, church, you ever feel like you're heading into a battle at times? They were always faced with adversity and opposition. And so God would instruct the people of God as to how to go about the battle. And there's one consistent strategy that he would always employ. God would get the people together. Go look at maybe the story like Joshua, where the Israelites take Jericho. And he sends the army out. And who does he put in front? The worshipers. I mean, he sends the trumpets before the swords. And guys, I'm telling you, we live in a world where there are going to be battles that come to the doorstep of the church, but it is the worshipers who are gonna lead the charge where we are going to stand in victory and stand declaring the goodness of our God and the faithfulness of our God and his might and his brilliance and his sovereignty in the world. It's the worshipers, my goodness. I pray that if anything, we look at our church like a battleship, not a cruise ship. This just isn't a place to come and get comfortable. This is a place where we can come and participate in God's redemptive work in the world. It's amazing. Worship is such a big deal. And David, who is arguably in scripture the greatest worshiper, he was a musicianist and he was a lyricist. 
And so he would put pen to pad and he would write things down that still to this day we, we quote and we still sing of these lyrics. And at one point in Psalms 100, David said this, make a joyful noise. This is again why we need to focus on joy because there's too many Christians who aren't smiling enough. They don't realize the goodness of our God. We need to understand that the church should corner the market on joy. The church should corner the market on hope. The church should corner the market on grace and love and purpose. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth, not just in churches, but no matter where you go, who you're with, what you're facing, I declare the goodness of my God and I stand in confidence knowing what he's able to do. Serve the Lord, he says, with gladness. Which church, this is, this is a big theology for me. Serve the Lord with gladness. I'm telling you, serving is a delight, not a duty. The fact that our God who doesn't need our help extends an invitation for you and I to be a part of his team is it's amazing. We have the opportunity to be a part of the greatest movement to ever touch down on planet Earth, and there's no close second. I mean, there's no other organization, folks, in the entire world throughout human history, and you may not be a Christian, but you do your own research, you will find no other organization in human history can make the claims that the local church can make. So right now, you look at our world, and some would say, well, the most impressive organization in the world today is Amazon. Maybe. But let's see if they're around in 2,000 years, and then let's have the conversation. But just know when we're talking about them being 2,000, folks, we're going to be four. The local church is impressive, and we get to serve and be a part of what God is doing in the world, serve with gladness, and come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his, and we are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Watch this statement. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise and give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. I love that. That, that means you can stand in confidence knowing that, hey, even when you pass away, God has your kid's best interest in mind. Even when you pass away, God has the interest of your grandchildren in mind that he is going to be faithful to all generations. And so we worship his steadfast faithfulness. I think this is amazing because what David is telling us is, is kind of counterintuitive. He makes that statement. He says, enter his courts with thanksgiving. Which growing up, do you remember having conversations? And sometimes we still do this even as adults. But you'd ask someone, hey, can I... Play, you know, use your, your Game Boy or will you pass the box of cereal or whatever it was. And what would we say? What's the magic word? Remember that? And folks, at all of our campuses, on the count of three, shout out the magic word. One, two, three. Please. Please. Yeah, we, we grew up understanding that the magic word was please. And David's telling us, not in the kingdom of God. He says, enter his course with thanksgiving in your heart. In other words, church, the magic word in the kingdom of God is not please, it's thanks. 
that as sons and daughters of the Most High King, you and I don't have to live with a beggar's complex. You and I just have to live with gratitude and thankfulness for his goodness. He is amazing. And something about our gratitude positions us to experience his work in our life. It positions us to encounter his presence in new and fulfilling ways. I mean, have you ever considered your gratitude? Are you a grateful person? I do believe this about gratitude. It's never silent and it's always visible. Gratitude, it's never silent and it's always visible. And I was recently watching this movie, Jason Bourne. Anyone seen the Bourne movies? Now, if you're offended that I just mentioned that movie from the platform, I apologize. You can send all your complaints to Pastor Steve at northviewchurch.us <laughs> and we'll see if that email still works. <laughs> I'm watching this movie. Jason Bourne is a spy. He's an assassin and he's on the run being chased by highly trained, highly skilled assassins and spies who have extreme weaponry. And there comes this scene where Jason takes a turn down an alley. And there's about seven or nine assassins chasing him with Uzis, automatic guns. And they turn into the alley and they're spraying bullets everywhere. And none of them can land a bullet. And I'm thinking to myself, how are they missing him? We're talking about Matt Damon here. This guy's not light on his feet. He's far from an athlete. How can't they hit him with automatic weapons? They were missing him. And I think when it comes to gratitude, when it comes to all that God has done in your life and all that God has done for you, sometimes we're inaccurate with our gratitude. Yeah, life comes with inconvenience and challenges and stress and sometimes adversity and pain, even confusion. But life comes with beauty. Life comes with joy and hope and love and friendship and purpose. I mean, there's so much to be thankful for. Life is good. And here's what I know is a lot of times when we're inaccurate in our gratitude, we tend to turn inward in our gratitude. And church, know this. Every blessing that doesn't turn back to praise has the potential to turn into pride. Every blessing that doesn't turn back to praise has the potential to turn into pride. I mean, have you counted your blessings? Here's an exercise this week. I challenge you, start making a list and just get up to 100. Get up to 100. And what I would guess is there would be so many critical things that you would leave off of the list. Like if you were to make your list, 100 things that I'm thankful for, you'd get down that list and there's a good chance you might think, I'm gonna put joints on there. Not the type you hung out with in college. <laughs> but the types that help us be mobile. I mean, it is amazing to me how our God just doesn't cut corners. It's just, he doesn't cut corners. Can you imagine if he just decided to leave off of his creation joints and suddenly we don't have elbows and knees? This would change life. 
it would be pretty inconvenient. And it's subtle. It's like, that doesn't even make the top 100. But if he doesn't give us joints, I mean, life takes on a different feeling, right? There's so much to be grateful for. I mean, thinking about this temple in Israel, there's what is called the humility gate. See, what kept happening in history is during worship services, people were persecuting the church. And so congregations would be together and they'd be worshiping or going through God's word and an army would come in. And an army would come in on horses and they would stampede the congregation. And so the priest decided, hey, we need to build small doors that horses can't fit through. So they built these small doors. Well, eventually the persecution stopped, but the door stayed in place. Because something about these doors started to serve a purpose in the lives of the individuals attending church. And the priest decided, hey, let's keep the doors. Because every time we enter this place, they make us bow first. They make us come in with humility. God, I don't deserve any of this. I'm not worthy of any of this. It's not because of my goodness, it's because of how good you are. And so it's just recognizing, God, I humbly come full of gratitude for all that you have done in my life. He was grateful. And guys, I, I think what David is pressing on is, well, it's really the area I got tripped up on. There's an area in my faith that I didn't have a handle, and it's this idea of the presence of God. Have you ever heard people talk about the presence of God and you're like, man, I don't know what to make of this. And know this, I think this will serve you well, but when it comes to God's presence, there are three different phases of God's presence. This is gonna be substance, but hopefully it'll help you understand this better. First, there is the essential presence of God, meaning he's everywhere. Everywhere you look, everywhere you go, God's presence is always available to us. Have you ever been amazed when you just look out at God's creation to see the thumbprint of heaven all over the place? And what I find is a lot of people will push back and they're like, I don't sense the presence of God or I don't see the presence of God. Which has me thinking of this. If you look at this picture, what is this? You don't know what this is? Whisper to your neighbor what you think this is. Should I zoom out a little bit? How about now? You wanna know what this is? How about now? One more time. Right, so here, here's the idea. Sometimes closeness comes at the expense of our awareness. When you are so close to something and it's all you know, you almost become numb to it or take it for granted. You stop seeing it. One of my favorite statements to make is a fish never discovers water until it's out of it. And a lot of times we are born into a world that comes with unlimited presence, where God's presence is everywhere, and sometimes you don't know it, not because God is so distant, but a lot of times it's because he's so close. I don't even know what I'm staring at because of its proximity. Know this, we live in an in-between stage. And if you are a Christian, Hold on to this. If you are a Christian, this is as close to hell as you'll ever be. 
And if you are not a Christian, you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ and surrendered your life to him, repented of your sins and received his grace, this is as close to heaven as you'll ever be. There comes a point where the fork in the road turns and heaven is unlimited presence with no presence of evil and hell is unlimited evil with no presence of God. But in the world that we live in, there is this essential presence where God is everywhere. But still, then you will hear people say things like, man, God showed up in my life today. So how is God always present, but then still showing up? That kinda is a tricky thing to think about, and that leads us to the next phase, which is what would be known as the manifest presence of God. Anyone love a sunset? Staring at the sun rising? For Kristen, this would be Kristen's favorite sunset. Kristen likes the beach, she likes the ocean. For me, I'm a mountain guy, this would be a perfect sunset for me. I mean, have you ever found yourself captivated by the sun? I mean, the artistry, you're thinking to yourself, I wanna take a photo, but the picture won't do it justice. Something about it is captivating. Even non-Christians find themselves in awe and wonder over the sunset and the sun rising. You can't explain it, but there are some days where you can just see the, the paintbrush of heaven all throughout the sky. You ever been captivated by a sunrise or a sunset? Now here's my next question for you. How often does the sun rise and the sun set? Every day. In fact, in your life, has there ever come a moment where the sun didn't rise and the sun didn't set? No, it's, it's a rhetorical question. Meaning, every single day we wake up, the sun rises and the sun sets. But there are some days where it's just a different experience. The same thing with God. He is always present. He is always available for whatever reason, though. There are just some days, whether it's in a hospital room, a courtroom, whether it's in the empty locker room or an empty parking lot, whether it's in your bedroom, a local church, at a par, on the tre- uh, park, at a, on a treadmill, there comes a moment where for whatever reason, God manifests himself and God shows up in your life and it was just a different experience. Church, ever had that be the case? Where you just look back on life and you just know, man, I felt the brush of heaven in that moment. That's the manifest presence of God. For whatever reason, this is just how he works. And then the next phase is what is called the cultivated presence of God. And guys, this is where I was so turned off. This is where I felt people were trying to conjure something up and, and be manipulative and draw, you know, draw attention to themselves. And I was having a really hard time with this idea of cultivating the presence of God. And I had me thinking about recently, my son Cannon ran for class mayor, which was pretty impressive. And so I got to go watch him in his candidacy. He ran against 14 other students, and guys, I was nervous. I got to listen to all of their speeches. And how it played out is, like four girls got to go before Cannon. And at this age, girls are just far more impressive they are professional and they are organized and they are studious. And so the girl who goes before my son, she gets up there and she says, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know 
that I desire honest feedback. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and she says, and my commitment to you is to hold both faculties and students accountable. And I'm thinking to myself, son, I might vote for her. <laughs> this is a good candidate. I was amazed by this girl. Cannon gets up there and he's like, I wanna be mayor because if there's ever an alien invasion, <laughs> I wanna negotiate with the captain. <laughs> Cannon got voted as class mayor. It was amazing. So the school here, which guys, I'm just telling you, I moved from Minnesota to Indianapolis. We're pretty blessed within our schools. There's no perfect school system, but we have some things well in this area. And one of them is this place called BizTown. Guys, this is an impressive deal. So leading up to this event, apparently they take all the kids to this place called BizTown, and it's a whole town where they get to, you know, practice society, and there's businesses, and, and Cannon's the mayor. And so leading up to BizTown, our kids decided to have a practice run at the house. So I come home and they have turned our entire house into their own little town. The girls got the upstairs. Riley turned it into a resort and she let Presley work in the gift shop. <laughs> Cannon took the main level. He opened a shopping center and he had restaurants and shops. Miles took the basement and Miles opened an arcade. So I come home and they're like, Dad, Welcome to our town, and they're giving me a tour, and I end on the third floor last, and here Presley's in the gift shop trying to sell me things I've bought already with my own money. <laughs> Dad, you want your pillow back? Dad, you want your toothbrush back? <laughs> Riley's showing me around her all-inclusive resort, and she says, and this is the spa. Dad, would you like a neck rub? And I'm like, yeah, I would. And she goes, okay, it's, it's $2. They had turned all of our game pieces from our board games into their currency. And I didn't have any money. So I had to go downstairs and get a job at Cannon's restaurant, <laughs> make everybody dinner. Then they came, they purchased dinner, and then I was able to go purchase my neck massage. It was amazing. And what I loved about it, what I appreciated the most, was their invitation. I don't know what it's like for you as a parent, but... I'm sometimes nervous or concerned that I'm an overbearing dad. I don't know, I just, I'm obsessed with my kids. I love them and sometimes I wonder, am I, am I taking it too far? Or do I need to give them their space? Like maybe you can relate to this, but have you ever kissed your child too hard? Like when my kids were younger, they were so chunky and fat and I just loved their cheeks and I just wanted to bury my face in their cheeks and, and I would just come in wanting to love on them and I'd find I'd kiss them too hard and they'd start crying and Christian would be like, what'd you do? And I was like, I kissed them. I just, <laughs> I'm an overbearing dad. My kids are getting older. My daughter just turned 13 last week and uh, I'm just in this season where I have to think, do I need to give them their space? Do I need to let them play with their friends? So when there come moments where they ask me to play, it's a big deal to me. Guys, when it comes to the manifest presence of God, that is him initiating the activity. But when it comes to the cultivated presence of God, that is us initiating the activity. 
And I think our God leans in and says, I'm going to engage with my kid. I mean, do you extend the invitation? Are you at times initiating the activity? God, I want more of your work in my life and I wanna sense and experience your presence in a new and fresh way. Which if you look back at this passage, this is interesting because the question is gonna be, well, how do you cultivate it? And watch this statement. This is Psalms 100 and, uh, verse two in the ESV. Serve the Lord with gladness, come into his presence with sing- singing. Now look at it in the NIV. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. So what you find here is the root word for here is serve or worship. The root word there can be either one. So when it comes to the fundamentals, anything you do can actually be an act of worship. Your attitude amidst suffering can be an act of worship. Going public in your faith and getting baptized, act of worship. How you steward your finances, act of worship. Stewarding your talent well and dominating on the court can be an act of worship. But in scripture, the two most important, critical, fundamental approaches to worship are this, singing and serving. I mean, when you go through scripture, I don't know why God likes this. I don't know why this is his love language. I don't know why he prefers it. But the essence and the fundamentals of worship are singing and serving. Which, I mean, church ought to be the most honest place on the planet. I just put the question to you and you have to answer it according to your own life. But when it comes to singing and serving, are you worshiping God? Do you find yourself, hey, I am living a life of worship. Are you focused on the primary things or are you just giving a little effort to secondary things? And know this when it comes to worship. What matters most is not how you express it, but to whom you address it. See, what I'm not trying to do in this series is to kind of create some agenda or plan of action that, hey, in four weeks, we are gonna have 90% of the room raising their hands in worship. That's not the goal here. Sometimes worship looks like this, and sometimes it looks like this, and sometimes it looks like this. It's, it's not how you express it. It is to whom you address it. When we gather and we declare these songs of truth, do you know who you're talking to? Are you aware of this? And does there something in your posture, does it change when you engage with God? Because I'm telling you, people stand when a president walks in the room. People stand when a bride walks in a room. And if there isn't a shift in your posture when you engage with the creator of the heavens and the earth, that may be something you wanna pay attention to. But it's understanding I have to I have to embrace these fundamentals of singing and serving because like any good dad, our father loves the sound of his children's voice. You know, in addition to that, David would give us this handle later in Chronicles. He'd say, sing to the Lord all the earth and proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all the people for great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. So he says, sing and worship you know, the Lord for his salvation daily. And church, know this, worship, it's a daily thing. 
It's not a weekly thing. You are selling yourself short and you are driving with the, the gaslight running on empty if the only time you participate in any form of worship is when we gather once a week. And what does he say we should first and foremost worship God for? His salvation. His salvation. See, this is where we, we tend to get exposed as followers of Christ. We think we graduate from the cross. And so the moment we start to learn geometry, we stop practicing addition and subtraction. But I'm telling you, there is no graduation from the cross. A life lived with Christ stays rooted, planted at the foot of the cross. It's waking up every single day recognizing that his grace is sufficient, his grace is unmerited, and his grace is tailor-fit to your life. That our Jesus, yes, did the unthinkable. So are you worshiping daily for his grace? As we think about this time, and I end with this, Jesus began teaching at this house. And any time Jesus would teach, crowds would gather. So this crowd began to pile into the home, and a group of people found out that Jesus was there, and they'd known that Jesus had healed some other people. And so a group of men brought their paralyzed friend on a mat to Jesus. They get to the house, and they can't get him inside. So what these men do is amazing. I wish I could preach the whole passage because it's a, a beautiful portrait of godly friendship. They climb on the roof, and then they cut a hole in the roof, which, come on. I mean, it takes some faith to be the homeowner. <laughs> I would be petty, and I would be frustrated if someone were to cut a hole in my roof. And they lower the man down on a mat before Jesus, and Jesus heals the man. Now watch this interaction, this is amazing. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. So they think he's out of line, right? Who is this guy extending grace? What is going on? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? That's a great question for you to apply to some of your own logic. Why are you thinking these things? And church, now watch this. This is a game changer of a question. Which is easier to say this paralyzed man, your son, sins are forgiven, or to say get up, take your mat, and walk? It's a big question. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, watched the statement, and walked out in full view. Some people fail to recognize that God desires for your life to be a platform for his goodness in the world. That's why baptism is so precious. Because yes, your relationship with Christ is meant to be personal, but it was never meant to be private. And God wants to showcase his goodness to the world around us through what he does in us and through us, amen? So he walks out in full view of them all, and this amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. I mean, they're blown away. This man comes down on a mat. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Pick up your mat 
and walk. He rolls up his yoga mat, he puts it under his arm, and he walks out, and the place loses their mind. We've never, ever seen anything like this. Which, I mean, let's put ourselves in their shoes. If someone were here today at one of our campuses, and chances are they've been in a wheelchair for 40 years, 50 years, and we brought them forward, and we prayed over that person. If they were to stand to their feet, church, we would lose our minds. Every single one of us would be awestruck. Wait a second. We have never seen anything like this. Someone who's never walked for decades on end just stood to their feet in the presence of God. What? But again, it comes back to this question. Which is easier? Which is more impressive? Which is more astonishing? Which is more mind-boggling? To say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. Or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. Folks, in order for him to be healed, all Jesus had to do was give him his word. But in order for him to be saved, Jesus had to give him his life. Oh, come on. <laughs> Guys, this Jesus of ours split the skies. If you don't understand the how, you'll never grasp the wow. You'll never get to that point of like, what? He split the skies, came on a rescue mission as an infant, from heaven to earth, left perfection for our potential. Born of a virgin, fulfilled all the prophecies, lived a perfect life, picked up a cross, marched to a hill, a hill, and was brutally executed, mocked, whipped, scorned, shamed, a crown of thorns on his head, a spear in his side, spitting, hatred, and he prayed for his enemies, tucked in a tomb, snatched the keys from hell, drop kicked the stone away, and came out and offered grace and eternal life for anyone who had placed their faith in Jesus Christ. It is unbelievable. I mean, it's why we worship, it's why we stand to our feet, it's why our hearts leap, it's why we say, then sings my soul. My God redeemed my broken life. His perfection for my brokenness. His holiness for my sinfulness. His righteousness for my wickedness. Heaven made a trade. And we get to sidestep hell. Which is more impressive. And church, here's the deal. If you don't actively praise God, you didn't accurately appraise God. Amen. Heaven and hell made a trade. Let's put it on the scale and let's make sure this is even. All of humanity on one side, one man on the other, and he tipped the scales in our favor. He tipped the scales.
so again, it's not how you express it, but my goodness, it is to whom you address it. So let's be a church that creates a hunger for God and goes after him with all that we are. And let's be a church that enters his courts with thanksgiving in our heart. Amen.